0: You're about to listen to the Unleashed podcast, where you'll be inspired to live a supernatural life and experience the reality of God. If you enjoy this message, do yourself a favor and subscribe. Or if you would like to connect with us further, visit unleashedchurch.org. Nathan's always hugging people. I'm not kidding. We go to the mall and he's hugging people and I'm like, where did he go? And I look and he's hugging people. I can't help it, I like, sometimes I just, I'll hug total strangers. you should see, <laughs> occasionally the look on people's faces when, you know, you have no idea who they are, and they help me out with my clothes or something, you know, I'm like, hey, how's it going, <laughs> and they I'll go like, oh, okay, this guy's really big and scary, but if you know me, I am big, I'm not scary, I don't, I don't think I'm scary, do I come across as scary? I didn't, I didn't think so, I pretty much, yeah, I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty harmless, really, like, My wife, (laughs) on the other hand, no, but I'm pretty harmless (laughs) for the most part. (sighs) So the reason I'm sitting here not talking is because I had (laughs) kind of an encounter last night. I actually have two totally different sets of notes. (laughs) The one you have, the one I have. So we need to pray so we can figure out what we're going to do. How does that sound? So let's pray for the speaker so we can figure out what's going to go down the next whatever time. Okay, so Lord, first of all, thank you for being here, God. Thank you for changing our lives. Thank you for being how amazing you are, God. Thank you for Holy Spirit. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for coming. Thank you for being with us. God, we just love you so much. We lift your name. We praise you. You are so incredible. You're so amazing. You are so awesome. And I don't know what I'm supposed to talk about today, so hopefully I'll just start talking and something will happen. So why don't we do that? So Lord, uh, my normal thing, just please bless everyone to only remember the good things I say, and anything I say that's stupid, they remember somebody else said it, and just praise God that at least the person saying it was good looking. Thank you, Jesus' name. Okay. (laughs) So, (laughs) oh my gosh. So, you think the second one, Is all you're hearing? I am too, actually. So, I'm going to go with that. So, I'm going to do the one you don't have. So, your your notes are totally useless. So, if you want to hang on to those notes, because I'm not actually going to preach from those notes, I want to preach from my notes, which are different than the one you have. So, here's what happened to me. Um... how do I put this? I've I've struggled with saying this, what I'm about to say, in a good way, because if you know me and our church here, and the tiniest little thing about our situation, you could totally take wrong what I'm about to say. So (laughs) uh, that's why I've been very careful not to say what I'm going to say. So, I'm still going to try not to say what I'm about to not say. Ha-ha! Yeah, you guys are like, that made no sense at all. And that's okay, because most of the time I don't make sense. makes me know that I'm tracking with God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, explain that crap. Okay? No sense at all. Okay. The wine skin. (laughs) Everyone's like, what? Is he mocking the Trinity? No, I'm not. So, last night... Okay, how do I put this? Like, I've known a lot of different, hold on, every sentence I start is not working at all. Let me find a good sentence. Think back to when you came to the Lord, okay? Now, let me ask, I'm curious to know this. Now, some of you don't know the Lord at all, and that's fine. But if there's that group of people that was raised in the church, and so they usually say something like, I always believed, or I've always been a believer. Like, they didn't have, like, this radical encounter. Like, you sort of raised always. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Like, raise your hand if that was you. Okay? It's not that many. A few of you guys. So, the rest of you guys, at some point, completely gave your life to the Lord. And I'm guessing even those of you raised, at some point, gave your life to the Lord. So, I'm going to give a little snippet of my testimony because it's so crucial for right now. <laughs> hmm. So I was raised in the church. Obviously, I'm going to do this quickly. Third generation pastor. Some of you guys know this. So I was raised in the church. Uh, comma. Therefore, I hated the church. <laughs> That's an awful statement, but it's true. I really wanted nothing to do with the church. I didn't like hate God. I just. You ever get to that? Anybody have the point where, like, you feel your heart is connected to God, but you're totally ignoring it because you just don't want to deal with it, so you're just going to do your thing out of anger or hurt or whatever? Okay, so you know what I'm saying. So I was doing that, and I had walked away from the Lord, and I only went to church because my dad would kick me out of his house if I didn't. That was the reason I went to church. So my motive was not homelessness, so that's why I went to church. So, I wandered away from the Lord. I was 20 years old. I decided the farthest thing I could get from the Lord was to be a stripper for MTV on spring break. So, I found out spring break was going to be in South Padre Island, Texas. How many you guys know where that is? Pretty place. If you ever want to go there, it's neat. So MTV flew down, set up a huge stage with tons of cameras and lots of mostly naked or almost naked people. They had a huge casting line, okay? So what they were doing was casting for people that could be dancers on stage to be filmed. If you're unbelievably old, you remember when spring break was done by MTV. How many of you guys are old enough to remember that? Hey, some of you guys know. Okay, so they would fly around and do these spring break things, which was usually just a bunch of drinking and debauchery and grossness and whatever. But so I went down there and I got in the line, right? The line is like 400 people long, you know, and they had a guy's line and a girl line. So they were going down and like you had to actually stand in line. You're supposed to dance and stuff. Well, I'm like number 300, in line because we got there late because my friends were totally drunk and I couldn't get them out of bed, and we drove drunk everywhere. I don't recommend doing that, by the way. I'm just this is just how it was. So we finally got there. He ended up parking on a little molehill thing, and I ended up in the last place in line, or it was like almost last. I'm standing there, and a producer looks. He stands up on the thing. He points over there like that, and he comes running over, and he goes, you, you, you. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I thought I did something wrong or the fact that we parked on the molehill or whatever. And he goes, come here, come here. So I come over, and he goes, oh, no, you're going in. So I go straight in. So here I am, pastor's son, 20 years old, dancing with, by the way, little jean cutoff shorts, I won't give you too many more details than that. So just use your imagination, but not too much, because you might be defiled when you leave and have to hit yourself in the face with the tack hammer. So, but it was some short, short jean shorts and nothing else. And I'm dancing away. Yeah, debauchery. Yay. hate God. woo for sin. It's pretty much what I was doing. Little cameras flying over, you know. About five seconds into it, this girl comes up and she starts dancing in front of me. And my first thought was what any 20-year-old guy would think when an almost naked girl comes in front of him, which I won't tell you what that is. But again, use your imagination, just not too much. And you'll know what I was thinking. So that was my first thought. Two seconds after that, I feel and see everything going on in this girl's life. I feel the wounds. I see her dad abusing her, I see it, like outside of me, not in my head, I see it above her, like a movie, and I'm horrified, absolutely horrified, I cannot turn it off, I stop dancing and I just start standing there and the producer guy runs over and goes, you got to keep moving because they're filming, and so I kind of start like... (laughs) You know, <laughs> I don't know what I was doing. I just moved enough to keep him from yelling at me. And I'm, like, horrified by this whole scene. So finally, immersively enough, it ends, and I leave. And we, my friends had rented this cabana, like, right on the, the sand. And they were having a huge party in the cabana and, like, kegs everywhere and everything. And I just could not shake what I had seen. Now, I knew all about Jesus. I knew all this stuff. But I, so I left and I'm walking down and I'm angry. I'm actually start talking out loud. I'm yelling at God. I'm angry at God because I'm like, why would you make me see? I'm trying to have a good time, (laughs) trying to drink, and you're screwing it up. You know, it's pretty much what I say. You're messing up my sin time, you know. You're interrupting sin time. And so I, I was mad and I'm yelling, and Holy Spirit hits me. I hit the sand. I flop over in the sand, and I'm just like, oh. And I get hit with the Father's love. I stand up. I don't know how long I was there. Honestly, I have no idea. I stood up out of the sand and I go, my life is dedicated to the Father's love. And that was it. I I literally walked back to the cabana where there's like a hundred people, totally drunk out of their minds. And I start praying for people (laughs) in the name of Jesus. I am seeing people. I am seeing what they're going through. I'm calling people out. I'm walking around going, You're, you've been abused. You know, I didn't have a lot of, like, wisdom. But I, but I was definitely seeing, and I was calling out. People were falling down crying. They were falling down crying all over this house, like, boom, boom, boom. And I'm walking through going, God is all over you in the name of Jesus. Like, this stuff is happening. And I get this taste of something I'd never seen before. Now, unfortunately, I went, <laughs> I'll say that. Fortunately, I went back to church. And all of a sudden, I was taught that I have a sin nature that will never go away and that I'll war with myself forever and, you know, I'm a piece of garbage and, you know, you're barely going to make it and that everything's just going to get bad. But praise God, if you say this prayer, Jesus will warp you out of here. By the time I was done learning religion, I didn't, I just felt like, gosh, we should just hole up in the church and like wait to die. You know what I'm saying? It was like, let's hole up in the church because everything's going to get horrible, but let's pray that Jesus comes back so we can get out of here and then everything will be okay. So I stayed there for a long, long time. A long time. And at some point, Holy Spirit began to speak to me. This is like five years ago. And he began to whisper in my ear, I'm about to change everything in my church. In fact, he said it like this I'm about to change the understanding and expression of Christianity in the whole earth. That's what he said to me. Now, the craziest thing happened to me is a year later, I went to IHOP. You guys know where IHOP is, Kansas City. And I'm listening to Mike Bickle. And Mike Bickle goes, In 1982, I was in Cairo, Egypt. And I was in a hotel room praying and Holy Spirit came to me and said, I'm going to change the understanding and expression of Christianity in a whole generation. And I was like, that's the same thing he said to me. In the next five years, he began teaching me things that I knew the church was not going to like and was going to be antithetical to what they've been taught their whole lives. Then a word began to come forth about kairos, about there was kairos, time in Greek, like there was something happening in this time. Because there's a couple words in Greek for time. One's chronos and one's kairos. Chronos is usually more like a sequential time period, like, like it's three and now it's four and now it's five. It's where we get like chronological from. Then there's kairos, which is more about the nature of the time you're in, like a season, the nature of a season. And he began to speak to me about things are going to change. And I began to change in my spirit. Something began to come alive in me that had been dead since the moment I went back to religion and left that house of drunk people. He began, like something began to come alive. The power and the glory that I had walking into a group of a hundred people and prophesying and seeing them come to Christ and give their lives to the Lord. Both of my friends gave their lives to the Lord, who were total atheists and unbelievers that I drove down there with, while they were drunk. One in the car on the way home, totally drunk, I start prophesying to him. He starts weeping, gives his life to the Lord. They were all just getting whacked and whacked. So all of a sudden, this power and this intimacy with God that I never knew ever was possible started coming back. So then... As this developed, and he said, you're living in a time right now where there's an accelerated thing happening in the kingdom. There's an, not because Jesus is coming back, an accelerated thing happening because Jesus wants to move forward in his church. He wants to win the lost, change the world, win the whole generation to him. He wants to completely rearrange things so that the power of God will flow and we'll see the greatest move of God in the history of the world. He is rearranging things and moving them. And he's been landing on me with like revelation after revelation after revelation that's rewriting the DNA of the church. And all of us are a part of this. As I've last asked the last few weeks, how many of you guys have had radical mind changes? And we talked about the renewed mind. We're going to talk about it again. Almost every hand in here went up. Three quarters of the hands in here went up and said, I am having a massive change of how I think about myself and about God. God changes how we think so we can receive what he's pouring out. He's always pouring it out, but he's got to change this, and that's what he's doing right now. So he began to speak to me about the new wineskin. Okay, so here's what I want to describe to you. Do you guys know Pharisees never existed um, in the Old Testament? There's no such thing as a Pharisee. Pharisees developed in the 400 years from Malachi to Jesus. So the, the religion that Jesus encountered was not, was not the Old Testament. It was Judaism. So Judaism in 400 years, it was, a hard, it was a religion that developed that they thought was real, and they thought they were encountering God, but they had no fruit. They had no real power. They had no love. It was just a religion that they followed. And so Jesus encountered that. Does that make sense? And he came along and said, I have to give you a new wineskin because I'm, if you, you have the old wineskin and I pour this out, you won't be able to contain it, right? I'm going to read Matthew chapter 9 to you guys. Here's what he says. This is Matthew chapter 9. You can follow if you want to. Matthew 9:14. The disciples of John came to him, meaning Jesus, asking, hey, why do the Pharisees fast but your disciples don't fast? And Jesus said to them, The attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. But no one puts a patch of unshrunk cloth On an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment and a worse tear results. Nor do people put new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wineskins burst and the wine pours out and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into fresh wineskins and both are preserved. Now, most of you probably know that an old wineskin has already been stretched out. So when wine ferments, it expands, right? So the, the container that it's in has to expand as well. So you have to be able to have these things expand. Jesus came across the people who were hungry for him, who wanted him, who were desperate to be with him. But the problem was between the ears. The problem was they couldn't even understand what he was trying to say. They were not able to get it. Now, the Pharisees didn't want to get it, but there was a lot of people who did. And they were so hungry for God. They wanted so bad, and they couldn't. And he's like, we have to change your wineskin right now. Now, I'm telling you prophetically, and I don't claim to be a prophet by any stretch of the imagination, but I am telling you prophetically, we're in a time right this minute where the DNA of the church is being rewritten, where a new wine is coming forth, and you have to get rid of the old wineskin. You have to let it go. You have to be in a spirit of humility and receive. So I've been tackling those week by week. The first one I tackled was is you don't have a sin nature in Christ in fact sin nature isn't even in the bible at all it never occurs in the bible but Even if you did, Jesus destroyed it on the cross, and you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. You are brand new. When he died, you died. He didn't just die for you. He died as you. So when he died, you died too. And when you put your total faith and rest in him, he resurrected you, killed your old nature, gave you a brand new nature, which is a heavenly nature. It is the only nature you have. It's why you're hungry for God. It's why you just want him. Don't ask why. Yeah, seriously, don't ask why you sin. I can tell you why you sin later. We'll tackle some of those things. And I even explained some of that before, but you do not in Christ Jesus have any nature, but his, you don't have a sin nature. If you believe you do, you will sin by faith. And we have a whole church excusing their sin because of their sin nature and diving more into sickness. If you believe you have a sin nature, you will sin by faith. If you believe you have only God's nature, you will start to walk exactly how you believe. He killed you, gave you a new nature. You are born again. You're not born again with another nature that stays around. He, he didn't, he didn't, I'm telling you, he, he didn't even like, look, your old nature, he didn't coddle it. He didn't, you know, he didn't even counsel it. He killed it. You have a brand new nature in Christ Jesus, and it is on fire, and it is alive right now. This isn't even a new thing. It's an old thing but just as the Pharisees in religion had twisted the Old Testament to be what it wasn't. We had an outpouring of God in our country, and religion got a hold of it and twisted it and made it something that it's not. So now we have so many believers are in bondage and powerless, and they're in shame and guilt, and we invite people into the good news just to tell them what a piece of crap they are. All of this is going to boil down to identity. All of this. So the new wineskin is a paradigm or a way of thinking. I was going to read Luke 5, but I'm not going to. Um, they boil down to two things. God, who is he and what is he like? What does he do and what does he value? And people, who are we and what is our main purpose? So let me tell you, let me ask you this, and I want you to think. Why in a generation, our generation right now, he has chosen this generation right now. And I'm talking young and old. If you're alive, you're a part of this. He has, why would he choose us right now to say I'm changing the way my church thinks? Why would he do that? Well, look back at the first time that he did it. Go back in your Bible and look at Jesus. Okay, he came and said, I have a new wineskin. You have to receive it. Why did he do it? In other words, what was the point of Jesus coming for his generation. Don't think ours, think his. Why did he come to his generation? Let's think about what, it, think about what he said was his main purpose. Remember when he sat down in the temple or, you know, with those, those other Jews and he said, hey, boom, Isaiah, I came to set the captives free to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Why would he do that? Because people were in bondage. They needed to be set free. And our generation is in bondage and needs to be set free. And it starts with the church. It starts with us right here. It starts with everybody in this room understanding the basics of the gospel and being totally set free in their relationship with him, to be completely on fire and totally free of shame and guilt. So now I will tell you what happened to me. You ready? Hopefully this goes over okay. Uh, so most of you guys know, again, okay, i am going to pick my words carefully. Most of you know, I plant, we, we all planted this church, and it's just been a labor of love. We all planted it because there, we only had two reasons going in, totally in love with Jesus and to save the lost. That's why we're here. We're totally in love with Jesus. We want to win the loss. I want to win a whole generation of people. I want to win whole families to him. I want them to come to know his love. I want people to be set free. I want everyone to be in him and completely out of the garbage that they were in, whether they've been in church or never been in church before. I want to win the loss. I want everybody to know his love. I want everyone to know how incredible he is. I want everyone to know the truth of the gospel, that he's so in love with you, that he is absolutely head over heels for you, that he is completely sold out to you. You think you're sold out to him? He could never be as sold out to him than he is to you. He loves you way more than any of us could possibly ask, imagine, or ever comprehend. And religion and everything from the darkness will war against that one revelation that he is in love with you. And it's subtle. Some of you know what I'm talking about. These little things are subtle. Oh, you have a sin nature. Oh, you need to do this. You got to pray that. No, you don't. He's totally in love with you no matter what you pray. Okay. So, we planted this church for those two reasons. Total love for Jesus. We want to win the lost. We want to win so many people to Jesus. Have an amazing church filled with power and glory and love. That's what we want to do. And that's what we're doing. So we're kicking off religious shackles to see the greatness and the goodness of God manifest in his church. See it back in the glory and the power. And everybody set free. Everybody going forward. And we are completely like to be part of a body where if you don't paddle, you end up in the throne. Because the river's going that way. You see what I'm saying? That's all I want. I don't care. You sit here and do nothing. Because we're in a river that's moving in the power of God. You just sit there and you will end up in the king's palace. And we are breaking off mindsets of slavery. So about a week or two, actually from day one planting the church, the first day, after the first day, I felt horrible. You could ask my wife, I feel bad for having to live with me. After the first week, felt awful. Second week, felt awful. Midway through the third week, and I'm trying to hang it on something. I don't know if you guys know this, but your soul, when you feel intense emotion, will look around to try and hang it on something. Your soul wants to explain the feeling. You know what I mean? So you'll have this really strong feeling of depression or anger, let's say anger, and you go, why do I have this anger? And your soul looks around, and usually you, your soul will hang it on the wrong thing. I'm angry because my husband. (laughs) And he's like, what do I do? (laughs) You're just trying to find something. You know what I'm talking about? I'm angry because the carpet. I don't know. It'll try and hang it on something. So I, I was trying to do that. I'm like, where is this? And every time I tried to hang it on something, my wife would knock it off the hook. Well, that's not it. The church is going awesome. People are already being touched, which, by the way, I've been now contacted by people from two different states who are totally getting blasted and set free. I got a letter from someone in Washington that was like, here's 20 bucks. I love what you guys are doing. I'm being totally set free over here. Um, Testimony after testimony, it's like really cool. It's really cool. It's happening. So people are already being set free. It is already worth everything we went through to get here because people have already been set free. One is enough. You guys know that to me. One person being set free. Everything we had to go through to get here right now. One person being set free is enough. But there's a lot more to come. So we left. I'm feeling bad. I'm really bad. That's an understatement. And I'm like, God, I can't live this way. I cannot live this way. All of a sudden, I realize, uh, so where I came from was kind of hurling accusation towards me. Okay, and I'm not trying to say me, I'm trying to say everybody, but it was coming at me. Lies, distortions, crazy weird stuff. Like the little bit that got back to me, I was like, I never even thought that, much less said anything like that. It was insanity, right? So, but that aside, here's what I realized. That came back to me. I'm in my prayer time. All of a sudden I go, oh my gosh, those feelings are shame and guilt. Listen to me. Since I came to Christ, totally surrendered when I was 20 years old, I've never experienced shame and guilt ever in Christ Jesus. Never one time. I forgot what it felt like. I didn't even know what it felt like. I had lost, I couldn't even tell you what the feelings were. I just knew they sucked. That's all I knew. I couldn't tell you what they were because they were so unfamiliar to me. I had not felt them in 23 years. Because when Jesus came into me, I had no concept of what shame and guilt even was. Experientially. Do you understand what I mean? Now, when I realized that and Holy Spirit started to come in, he started saying, son, you have no reason to feel guilty. But when guilt and shame is thrown at you, I mean, you know, sometimes it's kind of got to shake that stuff off. How many of you have had guilt and shame thrown at you? (laughs) Yeah, you know what I'm talking about? And it's kind of like, and you're like, yeah. You know what I'm saying? And sometimes you're like, yeah. And then, you know, if if you're like some people, I won't name you guys, you go to the anger. Yeah, well, screw you too, buddy. You know, it's just like this defense mechanism. You know, it's like anger comes at somebody. But if you're more like tender like me, I don't go to anger first. Usually with that kind of stuff, I go to like. Maybe there is something wrong with me. How I many of you do that? <laughs> yeah, man, I am a piece of garbage. I really suck. Oh, they're right. If you end up in this, how I many know where that rabbit hole goes? You know what I'm talking about. So I got slapped with it, and I was just like, "Oh gosh, that's not good." <laughs> but I want to tell you, Holy Spirit showed up, completely delivered it me from that, and I came out of that going like, "Oh." you really should have killed me while you had the chance because I'm going to make sure nobody feels shame and guilt ever again. I'm going to make sure anyone under shame and guilt is be broken and set free, believer or non-believer. How many of you know I am telling you this absolutely? The number one problem in your life is that you're hungry for God. Now, let me tell you why. I told you this before, but I'll just say it again. You're so hungry for God and you want him so badly, but you cannot get him. Instantly, the enemy turns out into shame and guilt against you. The reason you can't get God is because you stink. And then somebody comes along and goes, well, you have this sin nature and you're screwed up forever and you got to feed the good dog and not the bad dog and blah, blah, blah. And then they lock you into shame and guilt forever. So, you become an ineffectual Christian with half of a gospel. So, what I want to tell you is there's a new wineskin. It has two purposes. The first one is to set his church free. Where did Jesus go to first? The Jews. He came, I, I came to set the Jews free. I came to set my people free. I'm going to release them from the bondage of religion. I'm going to release them from the bondage of this mundane apathy. I'm going to release them from the bondage of lies that has come down from the enemy, sometimes through the church, sometimes directly to them. I'm going to release them. I'm going to set them free. I'm going to heal them. Do you see what he's doing? Now, what's he setting them up for? It's the second purpose of a wineskin, which is the harvest of a generation because what was he doing? I'm going to set all my people free who will be set free, and then they are going to go out and win the world. And that's exactly what happened. I'm telling you, our wineskin change right now is to set everybody free in his church. All those who love him, who are hungry for him, are going to be set free. Now, there'll be religious bleeps that don't care to have it, and I don't care about them. I only care about the ones who want it. I'm serious. I really don't care. Like, you can throw, I've already gotten stuff thrown at me. I, that doesn't bother me at all. Like, throw it at me. Accuse me. What about this scripture? Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, wow, never saw that, you know. <laughs> it's funny that people will accuse you who never read the Bible, and I read it every single day and have for 23 years. I'm like, yeah, I never saw that. Thank you for correcting me. Like, like, I don't care about those people. What I care about is you. I care about his whole church being set on fire. I care about all of you being free. And so that's why I've been attacking these things. And so now all I'm talking about is the wineskin. Now watch this. Watch this. If you guys remember the Jesus People movement, there was a wineskin change that led to the harvest of your generation. If you're a baby boomer, if you don't know what I'm talking about, there's a move of God late '60s, early '70s. They call it now in retrospect; they did it at the time even the Jesus People movement. Um, Elodie was my Greek teacher at seminary. She's awesome and good looking, so that was nice when you, you know, we well, don't want to look at somebody all day and be like, "Oh man, no." no so yeah, she's oh, it's all good. I'm just not looking at her. She's like, "Maybe I am." No, I'm just kidding. But God talks about looks in the Bible. I make fun of this all the time. I'm like, I won't okay, I won't go there. Let's not let's not do that. Okay, well (laughs) let's go on to what matters here. Um, so when I was at seminary, I would say this is not a joke. At least one out of three and and maybe two out of three of my Denver seminary professors got were one to Jesus in the Jesus people movement. I mean it was big. It's real big. And I've cried out for that to happen for this generation. For this generation, I'm talking young and old, everybody getting blasted, everybody getting changed, everybody getting filled. And the harvest beginning to come. And this millennial generation is so ripe. They are so ripe for a harvest. You guys have no idea. They are absolutely, people are looking at them going, they're hopeless, and they're this and that. I am telling you, they are ripe for the Lord to move on their generation, for us to see millions of them come to Christ. And all of us get to be a part of that if you're a mother if you're a grandmother a sister a brother we are part and we're going to win so many people to Jesus so many people to Jesus they're going to get wasted in the father's love it's going to be unbelievable so this happened in the Jesus people movement their wineskin went like this we are all bad with bad hearts since the culture had an innate sense of what was right and wrong, the wineskin was simple, something called the four spiritual laws. How many of you baby boomers know the four spiritual laws? So some of you guys do. Um, probably none of the millennials have a clue what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, you guys, what are those? What are the four spiritual laws? The guys have no idea. You know why? Because that wineskin worked in. They have, here's the four spiritual laws. I'll just read them to you for fun. Number one, God loves you and offers a wonderful plan for your life. Number two, man is sinful and separated from God, therefore he cannot know and experience God's love and plan for his life. Number three, Jesus Christ is God's only provision for man's sin. Through him, you can know and experience God's love and plan for your life. Number four, we must individually receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, then we can know and experience God's love and plan for our lives. (laughs) So the solution, if that's your wineskin, is very obvious pray this prayer to receive him and all will be well. So they would have big altar calls, come forward, pray this prayer, which by the way, I'm not against at all. If God's doing it, let's do it. God's doing it that way, let's do it that way. But what I'm saying is we have a change of wineskin and it will set you free and it will set this whole generation free. And the number one change is the pure gospel. You don't have a sin nature in Christ Jesus. He killed you, and you rose again when he did. You have a brand new nature from heaven. It is what is driving you forward. Do you see how the enemy twists your very own nature from God and uses it against you? your own hunger, and twist it to use it against you. Because the only power he has is to take it from you and twist you against you. So here's the deal. We have to change wineskin. Verse 39 says this of uh, Luke 9. And no one, after drinking old wine, wishes for new. For he says, the old is good enough. So here's what I want to, I don't think I need to warn this group at all, but I will anyway. Sometimes if you've drank from the old wine, you get fully satisfied without being hungry. Remember the sermon I gave about being totally hungry and starving and completely satisfied at the same time? That's the kingdom. The kingdom is totally hungry. I'm starving. i got to have Jesus, and I'm completely satisfied, completely whole right now. That's the kingdom. If you've drunk from the old wineskin, you'll just feel full. That's good enough. That's fine. Do you see what I'm trying to say? So the way you know you've drunk from the old is if the old is good enough. I wrote this, the new wineskin is essential for the harvest, and the wine to be poured forth is already flowing. The wine includes power, revelation, experience, freedom, and the ability to accomplish both personal heaven on earth and the completion of the Great Commission. With the inauguration of the new wineskin, the old wineskin becomes a prison of thought. It acts against the mind of Christ and keeps the body of Christ in a state where the mind is unrenewed, while old, safe modes of thought act as cherished shackles of religion. Okay, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a few elements, very quickly, of the new wineskin. I'm not going to explain them because I don't have time. But in the subsequent weeks, we're going to talk more about the new wine. The first one, you don't have a sin nature. Guess what the second one is going to be? Actually, I talked about the first one and the second one already. I'm going to shoot through these if you want to write them down. I'll have these notes for you maybe next week if you want them. Number two, all, is, well, is Isaiah 62. Here's number two. All holiness, listen to me, all holiness must flow entirely from Hephzibah. All holiness must flow entirely from Hephzibah. If you haven't been here before, you don't know what that word means. I wonder how many of you guys pay attention. Everybody together, if you come to Unleashed, you know what this means. So shout out loud, what does Hephzibah mean? (laughs) Yeah, you guys rock. You so know that. Let's try that one more. That was beautiful. Let's try that one more time. What does Hephzibah mean? God delights in you. The Lord delights in you. Let me, let me show you this. There's two ways to do quote-unquote holiness. First of all, you are absolutely 100% completely holy the moment you believe, and you will never be more holy than you are. So when people talk about sanctification, that happens in a moment, not a lifetime. So can we please understand this? You are sanctified instantly. You are as holy as you're ever going to be the moment the blood of Jesus pours out on you. No matter what you do, it will never change that level of perfect holiness, period, ever. So your actions do not determine your holiness. Your God determines your holiness. Can we please understand this? So stop striving to be holy. You can't. It's completely impossible. Give up. The word of the Lord is give up. You know, people are like, never give up, perseverance in the kingdom. Yeah, I believe in that too, but this part, give up. You ain't ever going to do it. He says, you're holy, you're holy. Instantly, you're holy. You can never change that, no matter what you do, think, or feel. So don't ever think that those thoughts have anything to do or those actions with your holiness, because they don't. He took care of all of it. But where The actions flow, in other words, what people would consider holiness, which usually it isn't, but what people consider holiness, like acting good, doing good stuff, not doing bad stuff, that's not holiness, but let's just pretend it is for a second, okay? (laughs) You understand what I'm saying? That's how most people define it. It isn't that at all. It's the blood of Jesus over you that's the only thing you can call holy ever, so therefore you're holy. But what about the actions? That we people, good or bad, I don't know. You understand what I'm saying? I don't want to belabor the point, but where do those actions come from? Number one in the new wineskin, they come from Hephzibah. Well, first of all, they start in the pure gospel, the knowledge you're completely perfect. Once you actually believe you're completely perfect, you will act perfectly. So they come from that. The second place they come from is Hephzibah the Lord delights in you. When you have a revelation that the Lord delights in you, trust me, the last thing you ever want to do is sin. You just don't care. God loves me. He delights in me. He lights up when I walk into the room. I don't want anything but him. The reason we sang that song today, you're all I want, you're all I need, is because it's true. He is all I want. He is all I need. Not because I love him, because he first loved me. The revelation of Hephzibah will give you so much power to overcome sin, it will shock you. Stuff you've struggled with for 30 years is gone instantly, instantly, when you know he loves you. You're like, prayer is boring. You'll pray for five hours under Hepzibah and not even know five seconds passed. Do you see what I'm saying? New wineskin, you're perfect. Two, Hepzibah, and all it flows from that. Three is this one. Connecting to what flows, not what falls. So what does that mean? Here's what this means. I talked about last week. I have been itching inside to do a lot of unleashed events. Now we're going to have an unleashed barbecue, uh, like say bye to summer, like woohoo school or whatever. (laughs) So I'm sure like everyone going to school is like, what? (laughs) How's that celebratory? But but the rest of us are going to have fun because we don't go to school. Yeah. We'll, go, we'll have our kids go to school. Yeah. Anyway, we homeschool. So that doesn't really work for us either. But anyways, okay. <laughs> Connecting to what flows. I want to do all these events to connect people. Let's get a men's group. Let's get a this, that. And, go, and I told you guys about this. And like last week, I talked about it. And God stopped me. And he goes, no, I don't want you to do any of those things. And I'm like, but God, people are feeling disconnected. They need to feel connected. We need to have this and that. He's like, I know they feel disconnected. I want them to. I was like, you do? (laughs) I was like, are you guys sure about this? Like, can I, you ever had those conversations where you're like, can I talk to another member of the Trinity? Like, (laughs) are you guys, you guys in agreement about this? Because that just seems weird. Like, (laughs) that just doesn't feel right. But then when you have, it's like Jesus comes and goes, no, no, we're serious about this. You know, (laughs) and you're like, okay, like, you don't want that? He's like, no, because I'm going to disconnect all of them from anything at all that was in their relationships because I want them to connect with me directly. I said, okay, but if you give me this, right after that, and I was praying this anyway, I said, God, if you give me a building, I promise you, I will build a house of prayer. And he goes, I know, that's why I'm not giving you a building. <laughs> I was like, what? Once again, can I talk to somebody else? <laughs> you know, somebody. this doesn't sound like God at all, you know. And he's like, no, no, I'll, I'll give you that. I'll give you the building, and you'll build a house of prayer, but right now, I talked about this last week. He said, where's the temple now? The temple's our body. He said, I want to build individual burning houses of prayer across the earth so that we all, when we leave this place, we are burning. We are individually a house of prayer. This is the temple of God now, right here. He wants to turn all of you on to burning on fire so your individual house is a prayer. And then when we come together already connected to him, we become an atom bomb of power and prayer and dedication to Jesus that changes everything. And nobody's siphoning off of anybody else's relationship with God. That isn't happening because it's just this, oh you know what I'm saying, this connection where I don't need to siphon off of you. I just add to what you're doing. You ever been in those prayer meetings where 90% of it is preach praying, about 8% of it is somebody's stupid issues, and you got like 2% of actual prayer? Preach praying. Do not get me started on preach praying. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like, okay, we're having a prayer meeting. This guy goes, got. I'm going to pray. So, Lord, tell these people that they need to do this. Lord, tell these people they need to be better. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? I hate that. If I ever have my if I'm an authority over that, I will three points fancy your butt, right the frick out of the room. Like I hate that kind of stuff. Don't do that. Then the second thing is the other person, it's all about them. It's my grandma, which is fine. We can pray for your grandma, but and then 2% of actual, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> That's what happens when you don't have burning houses of prayer. When everybody comes together in a house of prayer and they're already individually connected and there's fire and there's glory and it's Hephzibah and it's like the Lord delights in you and I'm an individual burning house of prayer and we all come together, it is bombs go off in the room. Stuff has changed. People think differently. We can change. Do you guys understand? We can change the entire paradigm of our city. We can change how everybody thinks. We can have it line up with the kingdom of God. You don't believe me? Read a history book. It's happened before. We can change how everybody thinks, but this is where it is, right here. But this connection, this thing he's pouring out, this I'm a house of prayer, does not function with the old wineskin. you got to release. I am just a sinner saved by grace. No, you were a sinner, and now you're a saint. Sinner is not your identity. Saint is. That's why the Bible's written to the saints in Ephesus, the saints and so-and-so, not the sinners, because he knows it's not who they are. It is not your identity. Stop saying it. You were a sinner saved by grace. Now you're a saint in the kingdom of God. Perfect, holy, blameless, prepared, ready to go. Everything of the kingdom is in you. Bursting to get out. The only thing keeping it out is that you don't believe it. Okay. (laughs) Um, I have two more. I don't have time to go over. So what I am going to do is end with this. I was reading this morning, 5.45, whenever I got up and went downstairs, looked on my phone, felt like the Lord said, read about the Pearl of Great Price. It's this long, right? It's this little, well, on my phone it was more like, you know what I'm saying. It was just a little little passage, right? And he basically says, the kingdom of God is like. Now, I did an exercise once, and I encourage you to do it too. Remember I told you about um, the exercise of going through all the Gospels and find every time an apostle prays something, pull it out and pray it. Do that daily. I'm not saying you have to do it as a religious work. I'm saying if you want to do it, do it. it it's amazing. It really will change the way you think. It's pretty cool. But another thing I did a couple of years ago is anytime Jesus said the kingdom of God is like, I studied the crap out of it because I want to know what the kingdom of God is like. Because remember, we never ever want to, to confuse our destiny with our assignment. Our destiny is heaven. Our assignment is to bring heaven to earth. Never confuse your destiny with your assignment. Destiny, heaven, assignment, bring heaven to earth. So anyway, I was reading about this Pearl of Great Price. So anytime I said the kingdom of heaven is like, I always look at that because I'm always like, let's make a church that looks like that. You know what I'm saying? That looks like the kingdom of heaven is like, whatever that is, let's have our church look like that. That seemed like a good plan to me. So I studied and I studied and I studied. And I got to this part, and I read like four commentaries, this is like years ago, on the Pearl of Great Price, and what Jesus meant by this parable, and they might all be right, but I think they're wrong, because here here in my prayer time, this is what I got. And remember, I always say this, anybody here, if you disagree with anything I'm saying or anything I ever say, you have the right to be wrong. Let's all just make sure we understand that. Okay, so I'm reading (laughs) Pearl of Great Price, right? I'm just kidding, by the way, don't, you know, nobody tweet me, don't send me an email. Okay, especially if you're online, just, I don't, know. okay. So, Pearl of Great Price. <laughs> one time I was thinking about how much he loves us, and one of the ways that we need to stop thinking, and gonna, I might do a whole sermon on this, but I'll just throw this out there for now. I used to think, God, because I used to pray these prayers, God give me a billion dollars, and like, and true, truly, truly, it wasn't a selfish thing. Give me a billion dollars so I can win the loss, so I can build this and do that and accomplish this for your kingdom and all of that, right? And I was listening to John Wimber talk about this, and I was like, that's happened to me so many times. Here's what happens. The pearl of great price is you. Jesus sold everything he had to get you. He values you like that. He's saying, this is how the kingdom of heaven is. All he's saying is, that's why we'll sell everything to get him. Because he already, he bought the land. He bought it all just to get you. He paid the whole price just to get you. This is how much he values you. Now, listen to this. I prayed those big prayers, right? Billions of dollars and blah, blah, blah. And I'd always be around these men it seemed like it's always men. I guess cause most time leadership meetings are men, right? So I would go to these pastors' meetings and when I first got saved, I would say things like, in these meetings, you know, my dad would drag me to these meetings with these old guys and they'd all be talking and I'd be like, you know, <laughs> like this wide-eyed, like, I just led so many people to the Lord. It's like awesome. And like I'm so filled. And I'd be like, guys, we should pray for a billion dollars. <laughs> you know. And I said this. And they all laughed and mocked me. And yeah, it was kind of hurtful. And I was just like I guess that was the wrong thing to say. Like, do we not pray for a billion dollars? Like, is that a bad idea? You know, because they're kind of like, well, you're just a young fool. And this guy that was probably like 50 or something, he's like, well, you know, I don't know that I'm worthy. <laughs> and I was like, so I'm listening to him, like, you don't know you're worthy. He's like, I don't know if God, you know, can trust me yet with a billion dollars. You know, I probably need another, he didn't say exactly like this, but this basically what he's saying. I probably need another 30 years of wilderness before I'll finally be ready or good enough for, for that kind of blessing. So I just don't know if he could really trust me with that. Now, of course, I'm trying to receive it. I'm the 20-year-old or whatever, and he's the 50-whatever, and I'm trying to be like, okay, yeah, I guess I need a 30-year wilderness. Like, shouldn't have prayed that prayer because <laughs> like, I really don't want a wilderness, you know, uh, which, by the way, I have hopefully successfully blown away all. You don't Wilderness, you don't need a wilderness ever. It's not part of the Christian walk ever. If you want to have one, you're welcome to. But you don't have to have one. You know why? Because people say wildernesses make you holy. You're already holy. Okay? You don't need a wilderness ever. Now, let's think of it this way. If you go through some hard times and you want to call it a wilderness, like, that's fine. But to go through hard times for 40 years, it's not a wilderness. It's a lifestyle. It's gross. It's not the kingdom. Can I just say that? We should live in victory every day, all the time. We come across something that sucks. We come before him and he wars for us and we overcome it and move on. If you stay there for 40 years, that is a lifestyle, that is demonic. It is not wilderness. Let's not spiritualize our dysfunction. Let's just call it what it is and move on. Yay? Okay. (laughs) Pearl of great price. My thought leaving that meeting was this. And in retrospect, I was right and they were wrong. (laughs) I left that meeting with these old guys making fun of me and being like, yeah, I need a wilderness to be worthy of that. And my thoughts were, as I'm walking out of this room, I was like, Jesus trusted me. Let me rephrase. The Father trusted me with his most precious gift in the world. And you're saying you won't trust me with money? He already gave me the most expensive thing he has. He already gave to me what's worth more than anything else in the universe. Why would money be such a big stinking deal? Can you hear that? This is a new wineskin I'm trying to get into you. This is a new wineskin. If you don't have the breakthrough and the thing that you've been praying for before God, do not assign it to your lack of worthiness. Because it doesn't depend on your worthiness. It depends on his worthiness. Please, don't do that. Don't say, well, I haven't gotten my breakthrough, so I must need to suffer for another 30 years to be good enough. He has already given you his most precious gift ever. Money is nothing. He can trust you with Power. Don't be like, well, I don't know if he can trust me with power to raise the dead. Yeah, he can. If he, he's given you Jesus, he's way more important and powerful than anybody would ever can raise somebody from the dead. You guys hear what I'm trying to say? So I'm going to end with this. New wineskin. New wine skin. It may require repentance. In other words, repentance at its core is like change the way you think. So it may require repentance on your part, but, but I honestly think It's more reception. Now, Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was telling them because they had to change the way they think. Now, I believe most of you guys are already there, but if you haven't, go ahead and repent for whatever way you thought that's been contrary and antithetical and antichrist in nature to the kingdom of God and the new wineskin. Secondly, it's just reception. How does this thing become a part of me? I'm curious, how many of you feel like almost in the last few weeks in particular or even since we started our church, like a warring going on in your heart, like this old way. Like seriously, raise your hands. Yeah, okay, this is a lot of you. You can feel it. It's like shoving back and forth. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's like, oh gosh, I don't even know. It's pushing you. I want to tell you guys, read the story of Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He heard the teachings of Jesus and the same thing happened to him. He was like, oh gosh, I just, how can I release my, you know, 50 years, whatever it was, of like rabbinical training and all this stuff. And, and now I, how do I do that? And what this guy is telling me. And he went to Jesus, and he had a very interesting conversation with him. I'm asking you, go to that place in Scripture. I don't know what it is off the top of my head, John something or other. um, And find it and read about the question he asked and Jesus' response. See what happens inside your spirit to receive it. Nothing is stopping us but belief. And that's some of the war we got going on inside. Okay, so we'll get to this stuff later. But Okay, you ready for this? Whatever breakthrough you need, whatever thing is on your heart, whatever obstacle is in front of you, cannot become bigger than the gospel, including you. Don't take yourself and make yourself the reason it hasn't come. Take self, because then it's still all about you, isn't it? Just get rid of that and come before him. Read that chapter in Nicodemus. See what happens. Okay. You guys ready? <laughs> ah, let's change the world. Let's win the lost. Let's see a generation saved. Let's bring them into the real gospel. Let's see what happens when love gets unleashed. Everywhere. We right about right in the church. What happens if love gets unleashed in one little church? Our little 10-week-old little baby church? What happens if love gets unleashed? What happens if we get a hold of this? Come on. 12, 11 knuckleheads. Change the world. Twelve probably teenagers, definitely not older than early 20s probably, change the world because they got a hold of it. Just the basic gospel. The love of Jesus. Habsabah. Okay, I'll stop talking. I don't want to talk this thing to death. Um, I don't know. Hey, Gabsters, do you want to? Thank you. So Gabby's going to get up and play a little bit. Um, we're going to press in like the huge. but uh, somebody uh, want to help her? Oh, you got it? Be you okay? Okay, can somebody come and help her that knows what they're doing? ads, Help her get set up. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Oh, I forgot about this. So, uh, God told me to say this at the beginning of the sermon. I completely forgot, so I'm going to come back. And while she's getting ready, I'll, I truly will end with this. I'm really not lying this time. Um, there, this isn't for the benefit of everybody. This is only for the benefit of, like, seven. That's the number I'm hearing. It may be a little more or a little less, but I'm getting a seven. There are seven-ish people in here that you have walked with an identity and a wineskin that's acted like a mantle. It's been over your shoulders as long as you can remember, or at least as long as you can remember in Christ Jesus. And this last week, in fact, it started for some of you with last week's sermon or the week before, something began to crack. And that identity is beginning to come off of you, the old identity. And for you, seven or maybe a little more, a little less, this morning is for you because he's not just going to break off that old mantle and identity, he's going to give you a new one. He's going to give you a brand new one. And if you weep when you leave, I wouldn't be surprised. Because what you're going to see is it's much better than what you had. So here's what we're going to pray. Go ahead. Here's what we're going to pray. If that's you, and, and I'm just going to be make you just be bold, okay? And, and again, it may be a little more or a little less, but. If that's you, you know this last couple weeks that old identity's been cracking. You can feel it. But you don't really know. You have some ideas maybe about what it's going to be, but you don't fully know. Um, If you're already standing up, could you come forward? If you're not standing up, could you just stand up, please? Just stand where you are. I'm just asking you to be bold. And we're going to pray over you. And the old identity is going to break off. It's going to break off. I mean, you're going to feel it physically. It's gonna hit you physically. The old thing's gonna go. You'll be more free than you've ever been. So if you're if you're near them, could you go ahead and just lay a hand on them, please? And we're just gonna pray this right now. This whole atmosphere is gonna shift in this room. Can somebody? Uh, TKO definitely needs some some prayer. I can see it on you already. So let's come before the Father who is the bringer of identity. And we say, Father God, come. Father, take your sons and your daughters and gently remove where the cracks have happened. Pull them off right now. Pull them off right now. Gently take old identity. This is was never who you were. You took it on for a whole bunch of reasons, but now it's got to go. And God's been preparing your spirit for this moment, for this moment right now, so that when it came off, it wouldn't kill you and it wouldn't hurt you. It would just come off. Um, I won't necessarily speak the name, but you know who I'm talking to. You, there, I have to say this over the mic. Your husband put... a. Uh, identity on you that was not you. And I just break this off of you right now. In Jesus' name. Break every lie spoken over you. Break every curse spoken over you. Those curses are gone right now. New identity begin to flow in Jesus' name. New identity in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name. Some of you have the last bits of the family you were raised in. It wasn't their fault. We're not blaming them. But some of the family you were raised in had put a false identity on you. So Lord, I call that down right now. Things spoken by their brothers and sisters, by their parents that locked them in a box and wouldn't let them grow. We break that off right now. In Jesus' name. All old identity falls. Right now, in Jesus' name, just fall. Fall off. Feel the shackles fall. Feel the things fall. The old thing fall right now. Fall off, in Jesus' name. Crack onto the ground. Complete freedom. Complete freedom right now. Now, what is stopping some of you from the reception is fear. You're like looking at going like, I don't think I can do that. I don't think I am that. I am scared. I don't know if I... I have never been there. I feel it, but I don't think I can go there. I'm scared. I'm confused. And I'm telling you, in boldness, you have got to come before the Lord. In boldness, look out on the horizon and just say yes. Yes. All he's waiting for is your yes. I will go there. I will do it. I will be that. That's me. That's who I am. I will be that right. It's just your yes. That's all he's saying. I will go there. I will be that. And he is right with you. The Father is blessing this, holding you, putting his arms around you. Thanks for listening to our podcast. And don't forget to subscribe, guys. It's so cool.